Lent is a season of renewal and introspection. However, that doesn't mean we have to engage in any more navel-gazing than we already do. Uh, This season compels us to look at our lives individually and corporately and ask, how have I failed and how have we all failed? It is not an easy season in the life of the church. And as I was preparing for this Lent season, I was reading through the lectionary texts that are assigned for churches on Sunday. I was struck by the theme of covenants, these promises that God makes with God's people. And all of us here are familiar with covenants. We've uh, paid rent. We've uh, purchased a home. We've gotten married. All of those things are done under the auspices of a contract or a covenant. They exist because we fundamentally distrust one another. We have covenants and contracts to say, I know you might not hold up your end of the bargain, and this is my way to ensure that everything will be okay. But the truest relationships are those built on trust. When someone binds oneself to the other, knowing full and well that it might all fall apart. And that's exactly what God has done for us. God has connected God's self. God binds God's self to us no matter what. And God says, the days are surely coming when I will make a new covenant with you. Would you all please pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. I've been in full-time ministry for almost five years. Five years of being in church nearly every Sunday. Five years of being committed to God's people. I've been a Christian since I was 19 days old. And throughout all this experience, I realized I finally figured it all out. I had the solution for all of the church's problems. It only took me five years of doing this every day, but I figured it out. I know how to fix all of our problems. We have to do a new thing. But before we get to the new thing, we have to talk about the problem itself first. I believe that churches, not just Coke Spirit, but all churches, they suffer from one thing. It's called the paralysis of analysis. Churches spend way, way, way too much time thinking about the good old days. Oh, but five years ago, that's what we did, and it worked then. God did it that way in the past, and should certainly work today. We spend so much time thinking about the past that we forget to be in the present, and we almost never think about the future. We are stuck with this thing called the paralysis of analysis. All we wind up doing is thinking about what we did so that we can keep doing that thing. And here's here's my example. Communion. Communion. So we, like all good United Methodists, have communion on the first Sunday of the month. Two weeks ago, it was the first Sunday of the month. We, most of us were here in worship. I preached an okay sermon. We sang the songs. We prayed the prayers. I prayed over the bread and the cup. I asked for God's anointing spirit to make them into the body and to the blood of Jesus, that we might feast on his body and drink his blood. Uh, and then we, we had the time for the passing of the peace. Passing of the peace where people stand up and they shake hands with each other. And I, I went around the room and I started talking to some people. And I met a new family. A new family. They were visitors in church that Sunday. And I found out very quickly they had never been in a church in their lives. Think about that for a second. They had never been in a church in their lives. So I'm 
fellows, this might seem so weird to them. If they've never been in a church before, they're not used to seeing people dressed like this, sitting at the front, staring back at them. They're not used to a guy wearing a dress with a scarf for an hour. This must be so weird for them. And I kept going, I was shaking hands with everybody. And then we, we, we prayed some more, and I said to everyone here, these are God's gifts for you. You come forward, do so with your hands outstretched, I'll take a piece of bread, I'll place it in your hands. You then may take the bread, dip it in the cup of seed, you may pray at the altar. And one by one, everybody here went to the back of the sanctuary, and they came down the center aisle. And one by one, I took a piece of bread from the loaf, and I said, this is Jesus' body for you. And everyone took that bread, and they, they dipped it in the cup, and they heard someone say to them, this is Jesus' blood shed for you. And then the family came and stood right in front of me. And the mother, taking a cue from the person in front of her, put her hands out like this. I took the bread, I dipped it in the cup. She sort of looked at it for a second, and I sort of motioned over for the cup. And so she took the bread, kind of quizzically, and put it in and, and ate it. And then she stood up to the side to watch her son. And her son stepped forward, and I got down on my knee. And I tore off a piece of bread. And I said, this is Jesus' body for you. And he just stared at it. And he just kept staring and staring. And then Thomas said, it's okay, you can take it. It's not going to bite. So he took the bread. And then he just stared at the bread in his hand. And he looked at the cup. He looked at the bread. And then he looked at his mother. They looked at the cup. And then the bread. And he looked at his mother. I said, it's okay. This is Jesus' gift for you. To which he said, yeah. But you just said this is Jesus' blood. And I don't know how I feel about drinking it. <laughs> uh, and so he took the bread, he threw it back without dipping it in the cup, and he ran back to his pew as quick as possible. <laughs> I think that we spend so much time doing what we do, thinking about the past, that we forget to even think about why we're doing it in the first place. We are stuck in the paralysis of analysis. We, in many ways, we are exactly like the Israelites during the time of Jeremiah. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the old one I made with your ancestors when I had to bring them by the hand out of Egypt, a covenant they broke, even though I was like their husband. God had to do a new thing. Not because there was anything inherently wrong with the promise, but there was something wrong with the participants in the promise. Their faithfulness, their days of living as the people of God, they had become so repetitive. The law God offered them was nothing but a clanging symbol. It was not the life force that it was meant to be. Many of them followed the law. They ate the right food at the right time, in the right places with the right people. They abstained from worshiping false gods. They even wore clothes without mixing their fibers. But it was done simply because that's what we always did. They were just going through the motions. They, to use God's analogy, were like a spouse who no longer remembered what drew him or her to the marriage in the first place. It's like they were waking up every morning to make breakfast, rushing to get the kids out the door, and maybe even stopping to give their beloved a peck on the cheek, but it was without love, without intention, without grace. 
For the people of God during the time of Jeremiah, it was all about the external and not the internal. It was about the mind and not about the heart. It was assumed that if you did all the right things, life would work out accordingly. Day-to-day experience, it was rationalized through objective realities. You have children to help your family. You have community to maintain order. You worship God to move life along. It was all about the what we do and never about the why we do it. And then God says, I will make a new covenant. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach each other or say to each other, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, and I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God looked out on all of God's people, a people for whom the law was written on stones and parchment, a people who did what they were supposed to do without it providing life, and decided the time had come for a new thing. The days of writing the law on a stone came to an end. There would be no need to write them on the walls for all to see and few to follow. Instead of attempting to adhere to a code of do's and don'ts, instead of the law being the thing they worshipped, instead of marriage resulting in routine rather than romance, God writes the law on their hearts. On your hearts. On my heart. No longer would people have to shout until they were blue in the face, You need to know the Lord. No longer would the marriage partner scream at the spouse, do your duty. No longer would the people walk around as if God wasn't there the whole time. This was the beginning of a new day. One in which all people would no longer know about God, but they would know God with all the intimacy needed. In which the why would become more important than the what. In which a new covenant would be established. So now we come to the solution. The problem is the paralysis of analysis, getting stuck thinking about the past. Here is your fix that I offer to you, free of charge. The time has come for us to embrace the weird. The time has come to embrace the weird. Because if you take a step back from all of this, from the pageantry and the pedagogy, from the liturgy and the lighting, being the church is a really weird thing. We take time out of our schedules every week to sit in a very strangely decorated room to listen to somebody wearing a dress talk about texts that are older than anything we can possibly imagine, and then we do the even weirder work of pouring water on people and saying, you have died and have been made new, and then we take bread and Welsh's grape juice and we say, this is a poor Jewish man's body and this is his blood. Eat and drink. We are weird. We are very, very weird people. But because Christianity has become so enveloped by the world that we often see and do and experience everything here as being normal. We make assumptions about ourselves and others based on the fact that this is just what we do. We don't think about how strange it is to eat his body and drink his blood. But if all we focus on is what we do, if we don't focus on why we do it, then we neglect to encounter the weirdness and the strangeness of who we really are. The time has come to make the church weird again. 
to embrace all that separates us from the expectations of the world. Because in no other place, in no other gathering, do we willfully consider how far we have fallen from, fallen from what we could be. In no other place in our lives do we say and believe that there is something powerful about gathering with people who are not like us to just be quiet for a few moments. In no other community can we find the bravery and the power to tear down injustice and overthrow evil in the world. The time has come for us to reevaluate our what's and to begin to shore up our why's. Instead of going through the motions of our faith, instead of taking the church for granted, we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing all of this? What does this have to do with the kingdom of God? How does the church make tangible the covenant and promise God made with us? Because if we can't answer those questions, we have to dig deep into the why. Better yet, at the very least, we should think about our own why. Why are we here? Why are we here in a place like this on Sunday morning? Are we here because we don't have certainty about anything else and we're looking for answers? Are we here because we've always gone to church and we don't know how to live any other way? Are we here to get something out of church? Or are we here because we know that God is getting something out of us? That we're not here for ourselves or for our family, but we are here for the Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Are we here because God found us when we were lost and showed us a different way? The people during the time of Jeremiah, they were lost. They were lost in themselves. They were lost in their exile. They were lost in their law. They were a people of what? And God saw their suffering, God saw their heartless practices, God saw their injustices and said, the time has come to do a new thing. And God inscribed the covenant on their hearts such that the people would always remember the why. So perhaps God's spirit is moving again in such a way that the covenant on our hearts will break this stone barrier we have that we might know that God is ours and we are God's. Maybe the time has come for us to question every single little thing we do as a church so that we might break free from this bondage to doing what we've always done. Maybe the time has come to make the church weird again. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen.